Hello everybody, welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast. This is episode 89 and it has been, uh, I don't know, two months since I uh, did a podcast. I tell you what, time flies man. I basically, you know, it's not something I really planned on doing. I've actually recorded a couple of podcasts since then and I just didn't like them so I didn't upload them. But I, uh, it's just crazy how fast time goes. You know, again, I didn't intentionally do it but before you know it, you've uh, missed a week, and then two weeks, and then it's been a month, and fuck, it just gets away from you. And uh, I've already said fuck like three times on this podcast, and it makes me realize I've had, uh, I don't consider myself a super religious person, but I believe in God, and we go to church as often as I can, as we can, and uh, I have some people at my church who have uh shared with me that they listen to the podcast sometimes and nothing makes you realize how often you say the word fuck until someone tells you they listen to your podcast from your church so uh if you're listening to this podcast i guess you didn't mind too much me cussing but that's just how i roll man i've always been a cusser my dad didn't really care when i was a kid he let us cuss around him and other people if there were other people around he would act like it bothered him but he didn't give a shit so i've always been a cusser it's kind of how i talk um so yeah so sorry it's been so long if you're a hardcore tim gaither podcast listener um you know i've been on the road a little bit um raising a one-year-old he's gonna be one on friday just crazy he's walking all over the place <clears throat> you know and he's been he toyed with walking for a while and then one day he just i don't know it's crazy how how well he gets around now and sometimes he'll drop down and do his little knee slide but kid's a beast and man he's beautiful and such a good temperament my boy smiles all the time and uh I've been able to make him laugh a lot lately, which is, he's always been a laugher, but, um, you know, I, I just, I just didn't realize how much I could love another person, and it's only going to grow as he grows. Um, it's so fun to watch him get into stuff and figure things out, and uh, there's been a few times lately where he lets me hold him, like, not just when I'm feeding him or something with a bottle, but, like, just, I'll just put him in my lap, and, like, we we watched Monday Night Football last night for, like, probably four or five minutes before he decided he wanted down, you know, because he's one, he doesn't, you know, but if something catches his eye, or lately I've been able to put him on my lap, and he'll hang out there for a little while longer, and I've kind of decided that that's what parenthood is, like, it's really hard, and there's these beautiful moments that make it all worth it. And <clears throat> him sitting on my lap and just chilling out and being able to smell his little baby head and him just hang out is so cool. And I can't, you know, I'm in no hurry for him to grow up. I, I want to enjoy every stage. I really do. And people have certainly beat that in my head. Um, but I can't even imagine how much I'm going to love him as he starts to talk and ask me questions and and we get to sit and watch wrestling duels together. It's wrestling season now and uh, duels are going to be coming on all the time. And, and you know, he's, he's still so young that he won't 
you know, it's not like he's going to get like excited about it. Like, Hey daddy, the wrestling's on, but, uh, I just can't wait to watch it and him be part of the equation. You know, I just, I just love him so much. And <laughs> I said last night on stage, he makes me cry probably three times a week and not just cause he's always stomping on my nuts with his baby feet, but because you, it, it's just an overwhelming uh, feeling as far... You know, there is nothing... And I think I, I know I've said this before, so sorry. I'm sure I repeat myself all the time. don't even realize it. But nothing on earth pisses me off more than someone waking me up if there's no reason to wake me up. But when he wakes me up, it's just part of it, you know? Um... And now I, I almost like it. I almost enjoy being the one to go in and, and pick him up and make him stop crying because he puts his little head on my shoulder. And when he does that, nothing else fucking matters. You know, that's the best part about having a kid. You realize how much shit doesn't really matter. Um, and that's not to say I don't get depressed about anything or bummed out or think comedy's a shit business because it is sometimes and blah, blah, blah. But... uh you certainly do realize uh, that most of the stuff we get upset about is not worth getting upset about. Speaking of that, I uh, just got back from Alaska and uh, I worked with a buddy of mine and we had a little disagreement about something and it went kind of south. And I, I think we've kind of made up about it and I won't get into the details of, of uh, what happened, but I regret it. I regretted it almost as soon as uh, it happened. You know, sometimes we just think shit is a bigger deal than it is, and it rarely, if ever, is, you know. Um, but that's life. It happens. So I did go to Alaska. I had a great time. Met some really nice people. Um, the audiences were great. I mean, they, they were so, uh, they were okay with some of the off shit that I say. And lately, some of my stuff has gotten even more uh, edgy, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. And and they were just right on board with all of it. And last night at the comedy store, I'm getting, I'm kind of jumping around here. Um, let me recap where I've been real quick before I tell you about my set at the comedy store. I was at uh, in the St. Louis Funny Bone, and that was a lot of fun. One of the best rooms in the country. One, some of the best crowds in the country. They know. They know what a joke is, and I found that the clubs that have been around the longest, usually that's the case. Like, the, the crowds that have, the, the clubs that have been open a long time have crowds that are kind of trained, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, new clubs, sometimes the crowds can be crappy, and they don't even know they're crappy. They don't realize, like, we need you to laugh in order for us to have the kind of confidence we need to be as good as we can be. Um, and the, and those kind of clubs do. So I really enjoy St. Louis. It was a lot of fun. Got to work with my buddy Kurt, who's a big wrestling fan. And, uh, so we, we had a good time together. Um, and then I went to Pechanga Casino in Temecula, California. And the shows were great there too, for the most part. But, uh, I had the Sunday show and there was this lady who came to the show. And come to find out, she's what they call a silver feather, which... I think that's what they call it. They have like a hierarchy at the uh, casino. And she is one of the higher-ups, apparently. 
And she came to my show and she was heckling. So I kind of let her have it a little bit. And then she was like, I'm a silver feather. And I was like, I don't give a fuck what you are. You're interrupting my show and you're bothering me. And, and she wasn't just a heckler. She was just, she was just being a bitch. Just for being a bitch's sake. It felt like anyway. Um, and I did. I let her have it. I said shit to her that I probably never said on stage in my life. And I have it on audio. I thought about uploading it, but... You know, then there's a part of me that's like, man, she's an old lady, you know? I mean, no matter how much of a bitch she was, and she was, um, I wish I could take back some of the things I said to her. I don't like speaking that way to older people, but I, I did. I let her have it. And, and there were some cops, that, or security guards, whatever, and they all came down in an elevator, and there was like six of them in the back of the room watching this. And I even gave them shit. I was like, come do your job. Get rid of her. If she was a man, she would have been out of here 20 minutes ago. What the fuck are you guys doing back there? I mean, I was livid. I was I, I, I couldn't believe what they were letting her do and say and how much they were just letting her ruin the show. And, and the wrong heckler can do that. There's only so much you can do with somebody if they won't shut up. And she was one of those people. And so they had six guys back there trying to figure out what to do with this old lady and I'm like I know what to do with her kick her out and then after the show I found out they were having this conference and brought down like the head of the casino and all this other stuff because she's such a big deal in the casino I'm like if she got that high up in the uh, hierarchy of the totem pole whatever the fuck you want to call it how can she be so stupid how can someone that stupid be one of the main people in your casino um what's going on in that administration uh, very frustrating, um, and again, I wish I could, I wish I could explain to her why and how she was being annoying and how she ruined the show for everyone else, and also apologize to her, because, uh, she's old. <laughs> she wasn't that old, she wasn't like a 90-year-old woman I'm bagging on, but I bet she was in her 70s. And her husband, by the way, was laughing his ass off. I was saying things to that old woman that he had probably wanted to say their entire marriage, and he hadn't been able to, because he's probably not a silver feather, or whatever the fuck. So anyway, overall, it was a good time. Uh, what else was I going to tell you? And then I went to Alaska and just got back from that, and I think there was somewhere else that I was... Uh, I think the last podcast I did was that uh, thing where I was talking about Trump and how he was doing a lot better job than anyone's given him credit for. The media especially has given him credit for. I think a lot of people know that he's doing some good things and he's a jackass and all that. Um, but my whole point with politics in general, and ever since that podcast, I kind of quit paying attention to it because it was really bothering me and I was letting it get under me like you wouldn't believe you know just all the shit people would say and all the misinformation out there and the stuff people were arguing about that didn't even happen and and all this crap it was really starting to affect me in general and so I, I I'm very rarely on Twitter anymore which is where all the shit talking goes down but my here's my thing about any politician Bush Clinton, Trump, Obama, um, any of them, any of them, 
I don't care what the media or society has portrayed them to be or whatever. Certainly, they've probably all done good things. But they are still all, and I am using that letter, that word all in capital letters. They are all lying, self-serving cock-touchers. Not cock-suckers, cock-touchers. A cock-toucher is someone who would like to suck a cock, but doesn't have the balls to, so they just touch one while it's sleeping. That is a cock-toucher, and that is what every politician and everyone who's ever wanted to be president is. Because you don't want to do that job unless you're an egomaniac and you got no problem lying to people and blah, blah, blah. But let's stop acting like any one of them is better than the other because they are all lying pieces of shit. And it only matters, it only it depends on what side of the fence you're sitting on economically and everything else as far as who it behooves you the most to have in the White House. So I, I'm I'm over it. You know, I go through phases where I care about things and then I don't give a shit like my podcast. Um, <laughs> no, I really regret not doing it the last couple months, but whatever, here I am. And I'm going to have some guests on soon, some more guests. Um, I got a little frustrated with guests because... I quit doing it from the comedy store, so I had to work out different locations, and uh, it's not always easy to coordinate. And I kind of like doing it by myself, to be honest with you. I, I, I get some stuff out, and sometimes I I say something that I can turn into a joke. Um, I think that cock-toucher thing could be turned into a joke pretty easily. Uh, so, what else was I going to tell you guys? Um... John Pops Witherspoon passed away this last week. I had the pleasure of working with him. I probably featured for him 25 times. I mean, that that I probably five different weeks. And they're all like six shows, usually. So, I bet I opened for him 25, 30 times. One of the nicest guys on the planet. Never traveled with an entourage. He was just very down-to-earth. Came and did his job. Um, I asked him one time, I said, so is this like a job to you now, or do you just, you know, he's like, it's a job, man, you know. <laughs> he was so cool. I asked him to do my podcast last time I worked with him in Virginia Beach, uh, probably about this time last year. I said, hey, man, you want to do my podcast? He's like, oh, no, fuck no, I don't want to do that shit. <laughs> and... He wasn't like a dick about it. It was just so funny, and he's so such an honest person. There is no, there's no sugarcoating it when it came to uh, Pops Witherspoon. He just told you how he thought, and you know he's Pops. What are you gonna say? He he, I worked with him so many times. Um, he always treated me like like I, like he was working with me. You know, not that I was opening for him or, you know, he never made me feel like I wasn't welcome in the green room and um, he would sit there and eat with me and, and talk to me and tell me stories about Mitzi Shore and and the comedy store back in the day and his uh, time at La Jolla and, you know, working with, hanging out with Robin Williams and Richard Pryor and and he was one of the, he was one of David Letterman's best friends and just such a fu- every word that came out of his mouth was funny. Um, 
I mean, just a, a beautiful soul and a beautiful, great comedian. And he had this bit about Wilt Chamberlain, about how Wilt Chamberlain claimed that he had sex with 20,000 women. And John Witherspoon goes, now, if you're going to tell a lie, why you got to tell a big Godzilla-ass lie like that? If you had sex with 20,000 women, that's all you would ever do. And then he would do this thing where he'd be, like, cutting up a steak, and the whole time his hips were humping in this humping motion. He'd be cutting up a steak and shooting a basket and uh, combing his hair. And <laughs> and the whole time, he just had those hips going, uh, like the Energizer Bunny. It was just the funniest thing. I would always try to be in the room when he did that because it killed me. And he was such a professional. You know, he did his time. He did 45 minutes to an hour. Whatever he said he was going to do, that's what he did on the nose. Usually did right at an hour, and uh, he was just, he gave me girl advice, I don't know if I said that already, but he gave me advice about women one time, and having Pops from Friday give you advice about women is just about one of the coolest things ever. Um, The first time we worked together was in Cleveland at the Improv, and man, I used to drink so much working at that club. I didn't the last couple times I was there. I headlined the last couple times I was there. And uh, I remember the, the manager at the time being like, I stocked up on Captain Morgan for you. And I was like, ah, man, I'm sorry I quit drinking. He's like, no shit. He's like, I'm going to have to have a Captain Morgan special. I mean, that's how much Captain I got for you. Because I used to be able to drink like a fifth of that shit by myself. I'd put a little bit of Diet Coke in it and just go to town. Something Something about... Captain Morgan. I could drink so much of it. Uh, if you gave me a Bacardi and Coke, I'd have two or three of them and be just shit-faced. But something about Captain Morgan, a little bit of Diet Coke, I mean, I could drink it like there was no tomorrow. I could drink it like water. Um, matter of fact, at the Cleveland Improv, I wasn't drinking Captain Morgan, but I was on a beer and shot kick where every time I went to the bar, and back then it was all free, I don't know if it is anymore, because I haven't drank in almost nine years, but back then it was all free, and they didn't never cut you off. I mean, and I would just get, because I was featuring most of the time when I was drinking, but you know, I was working at the Cleveland Improv, so I'd get all, I'd, I'd do my 25 minutes and come off stage and order some food and start drinking, and I mean, I had started drinking before the show even started, too, but when I got off stage and the headliner was on stage, it was on, you know, um... And there was a bartender named Jim, this little stocky dude. And I was like Jim, and he told me one time, he goes, Gaither, I have never seen anyone that can drink like you. And when a bartender tells you that, you start thinking, maybe I should chill the fuck out. Um, (laughs) uh, Man, I used to get tore up at the Cleveland Improv, though, uh, before, during, and after the shows, I would just get hammered. And they had this condo that was right across the parking lot from the club. So all you had to do was stumble over there. And there was this little uh, hole-in-the-wall bar right across from the condo. So right across from the, the street, there was a little hole-in-the-wall bar. And then come out of that bar and go across the parking lot, and there was the improv. So after the shows... Me and some of the staff members would usually go to that little bar and continue to get tore down. Um, and I, man, 
I used to get messed up before the shows. I remember I had a pretty good buzz because I was hanging out that little hole in the wall. And for some reason decided to go back to the condo before the show and smoked an entire joint by myself. Um, sorry, church people. <laughs> uh, yeah, I used to do some debaucherous shit sometimes. I uh, smoked this entire joint and walked over to the club and... I remember right before I going on stage thinking to myself, man, you may have overdone it. Like, uh, how are you going to do this? And and I went up there, and and I always had good shows there in Cleveland, which is part of why I always got so fucked up, because I knew the shows were going to be good anyway, or at least they seemed good to me. I remember asking Billy D. Washington one time, I go, hey man, did I go up last night, second show? He goes, yeah, you don't remember that? He goes, you did good. You called the whole crowd cocksuckers at one point. Well, you had a good set. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if my mom listens to this. She knows I used to drink and do stupid shit. But, man, Cleveland brought it out in me. Um, they had this stuff called chicken schnitzel. This cook back there. I can't remember his name. But even after they took it off the menu, he would cook it for me when I came to the club. And, man, that stuff was good. Chicken schnitzel. They had the best food of any improv back then anyway, the Cleveland Improv. They've moved it since then. They moved it across the street, and it's a nicer club and everything, but I kind of like that old CD original improv. Uh, so, let's see, what else have I talked about here? Talked about Micah, talked about John Witherspoon, uh, recapped St. Louis, Pechanga, and Alaska, uh, I've said that all co- all politicians are cock-touchers. Apologize to the people at church for cussing. I apologize now for my dog barking in the background. Uh, I don't know if I'll edit it out or not, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Last night at the comedy store, I had the kind of set that lets me know that I will never, ever stop doing stand-up comedy. No matter how much I bitch about it, no matter how much I threaten to quit, no how, matter how many times I make up in my mind that I am going to quit, no matter how many shows I have that make me want to quit, um, no matter how frustrating it is that so many people get ahead in this business who suck, at stand-up comedy, no matter how much any of that bothers me, no matter how unfair it is, I will never quit stand-up comedy. And sets like last night remind me that I won't. It was nothing special as far as crowds. I I went up there and there was like... I was 16th on the list. If you're a paid regular at the comedy store on Mondays, you go up and you put your name in a bucket. And, And then they draw them out at 9.45. And I tell you what, that is the most nerve-wracking few minutes of my life, not knowing, driving to the club and not knowing if you're going to be first or 10th or 15th or second or or what. Something about not knowing exactly just makes my anxiety go through the roof. I get so nervous. It's it's kind of funny. Uh, My pastor told me recently that if you're not nervous, the spirit isn't with you. And I've tried to embrace that and, and, and be okay with it. Because goddamn, Tim, after 20 years... You don't know that it's going to be okay? You don't recognize that you've had these nervous feelings a million times? I mean, come on, Bubba. 
just feel them and walk through it and be okay with it. And and lately I kind of have been. Ever since he said that, I've tried to remind myself that. And and I went up last night. And last the last five times that I've been to the comedy store and put my name in like that, I have drawn number 16. It's almost like a joke at this point. Like, seriously? How the fuck do I draw number 16 five, at least five weeks in a row? In a row, I've drawn number 16. And sometimes I'll just go home because that's really late in the show and sometimes celebrities will pop in and they'll do a long time and and by the time you wait around to go 16th, it might be 1 a.m. Well, last night I told myself that God's plan was whatever happened. If I drew 1st, 2nd, 5th, 16th, it didn't matter. Well, I'll be damned if I didn't draw 16 again. And I waited around till almost 1 a.m. And it was a pretty good show up until like 15 minutes before I went on. And then a couple guys went up and just ate shit. And the people who were left all took off. And it sucks because Brian Simpson was before me and he's really funny. And then it was me. And I don't know who was after me because I left, but... Um, by the time I got up there, that crowd was dead. And there was probably 10, 12, 14 people in there, but they're all spread out. Most of them are way back in the right, right-hand right corner of the room, left-hand corner of the room, depending on which way you're looking at it. So there wasn't much crowd at all. It's like a really bad AA meeting or something. And I went up there, and the first few minutes, they just kind of stared at me and, you know... Whatever, and then something clicked in me where I was like, fuck it, man. Talk about what you want to talk about. And I talked about religion, and I talked about 9-11 in a way that I'd never talked about it, and, and, and worded some jokes that I'd been working on for a long time. I, I worded them perfectly, and I recorded it, and I wasn't apologetic about some of the things I was saying about our government and how full of shit everyone is and blah, blah, blah. And, and and I've done this a few times lately, but last night, I mean, I got off stage and like pumped my fist in the back, you know, and nobody, because it felt so good. I felt like I was finally, and, I, and I've gotten glimpses of this my entire career, but when it happens, it, it's like you could never be the same again. I, I had this guy to the left of me, kind of agreeing with all the stuff I was saying about 9-11, and I'd point out things that were just ludicrous, and he'd go, yep, that's right, and shit like that. And it encouraged me so much. And Bill Hicks is my comedic idol, and I have never been more like Bill Hicks as far as saying controversial things and being funny with it. Last night was the best I have ever done it. And the crowd appreciated it, and it made me feel alive, and it made me feel like the only reason I haven't, my success level, I hope this doesn't sound conceited and cocky, but the reason my success level isn't on par with my talent level as a stand-up comedian is because I have not used all the abilities I feel God gave me. And once I do that, I'll get the recognition I deserve, and not a moment sooner will I get it. And there's a reason most people don't know who I am. And I don't necessarily know that I I care about being famous, but I do want to say 
the things out more of the kind of stuff I was saying last night. And I felt like I got a little bit closer to becoming that guy on stage that I've always wanted to. I have always, again, I hope I don't sound cocky, but I have always done a good job. I'm way too hard on myself to have done it this long if I wasn't good at it. And I didn't usually do well. But I want to do more than that. It, it's it's my job to do more than that. You know, um, there's a lot of funny people out there. Say something. Somebody I don't like at all, so I'm not going to mention his name. But he said it to me a long time ago. He goes, man, you're really funny. Now say something. And it kind of bothered me at the time because I don't like the guy. But looking back on it, yeah, absolutely. Fucking say something. Don't just go up there and be funny and... You know, it doesn't bring me the same... Doing a good job now doesn't give me the high it used to. I remember when Brian Burgess told me, you know that feeling you get when you kill? I go, yeah, it's awesome. It's when I first started out. He goes, yeah, I don't get that anymore. And I thought to myself, really? Oh, that's sad. Like, I can't imagine not getting that feeling. Well, now I completely understand it. I can go up there and kill for 50 minutes straight. And that's how it's supposed to be. That's my job. So I don't get a, a high from it, really. I mean, it's certainly better than if it's bad. I certainly feel better than that. But I don't wake up with the same sense of accomplishment as when I first started out and I would do well. Now I do well and I'm like, yeah, good. They were a good crowd and that's how it's supposed to be. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and... And I know how to do it. And if it's a good crowd, they're going to come along. And if they suck, they won't. Um, but my point in saying that is I, I don't get the same high I used to from just doing well. But last night, in front of 14 people, saying what was truly on my mind and in my heart and saying it the way I wanted to say it, and pumping my fist like that, I felt like I beat somebody in wrestling that I wasn't supposed to beat. You know, it just fired me up so much. And I drove home and, and listened to it on the way home and and woke up proud of myself and wrote a bunch of stuff last night when I got home in the same vein about what I was talking about. Because I went further last night with my 9-11 stuff than I ever have as far as the holes in the official story and all that. And, man, it felt so good. And uh, it's always scary having sets after a set like that because it's almost always a letdown. Like you feel like you've reached this new level and then inevitably the next show will suck. But it doesn't have to be that way and I'm I'm hoping it's not and I'm just trying to get up and do something positive every day. And I told myself the other day if you just focus on raising your boy the right way on raising Micah the right way, you will have to be living the right way. And if you do that, everything else is going to fall into place. All this shit you think matters and stuff that you worry about, it's all going to fall in place if you just take care of your boy. And that's what I'm trying to do. I don't want him... I don't, I don't want recognition and, and a certain level of fame just for the money or any of that crap. I want my boy to see that anything is possible and that if you work hard and don't give up on something, that you don't quit and you don't lose unless you quit 
kind of a thing. And I don't want him to see me bitching about the business and angry and, and all of that. He deserves better than that. And so, you know, when I do these podcasts and I say this kind of stuff, it makes me somewhat accountable to myself. You know, I can't put this out here for for people to hear and then, and then not try to uh, live by it. So... I'm sorry that it's taken me so long to do another podcast. I I plan on getting back after it and doing, you know, one a week. And there's a lot of things I have planned. And it seems like a lot of times when I talk about those plans, they don't always come to fruition. So, uh, no more talk. We are done talking. Um, Faith in action. Faith in action. Um, I think I'm done, everybody. I think I've exhausted my... uh, Topics I want to talk to you guys about. I'm sure as soon as I sign off, there'll be something that pops into my head that I should have talked about. But uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm not sure who my guest will be if I have one next week. But uh, go to TimGatherComedy.com. Follow me on all my social media. Uh, if you'd subscribe to my YouTube, YouTube.com slash TimGather. I, I, it's probably sounds like bullshit to you guys, but I am working on some things when it comes to that that uh, I've been working on for a long time now. Uh, So, no more rambling. I'm done. I got nothing more good to say. Go to makingithappen.com. M-A-C-A-N ithappen.com. Help out little Bo Macon and his family. Um, Yeah, going home in December to see my mom and let her see the boy. And I'm really looking forward to that. And it'll be here before we know it. His birthday is this Friday. We're going to have a party for him Saturday. So I'm excited about that. I really do appreciate you guys listening and uh, waiting patiently for the next uh, podcast. Again, I can't apologize enough for taking so long. Time gets away from you and blah, blah, blah. I love all of you. God bless you. Thanks for listening and take care. Bye.